We've been talking about vision for 2017. And um, uh, from last week, I just want to give you three words you need to remember that kind of dovetails it all together. But it's involve, invest, and invite. Involve, invest, and invite. Today I'm going to talk about holy discontent, holy determination, and divine destination. We have two passages of scriptures. Do we have those, Matt? Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are true, not yet done. Oh, man. My counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Let me begin by talking about the kingdom. The kingdom that were to pray would come. The kingdom of the gospel that we are to preach. Yes, the millennium is not now. Christ is not sitting on the throne of David in that holy city. But there is a rule of God that's manifested in Christ Jesus that we are to be involved in and that is bringing the redemption of Christ to the earth that is now. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 Verse 28 through 29, as he is healing and as he is demonstrating his power in the kingdoms. Throughout the scriptures, you see his power in the kingdoms. We see his power in the kingdom of nature. When nature was having a fit and it was affront to what was too uh, 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 hindering the call of God. And he shows that he has power in the kingdom of nature. As the seas calm. And then our passage this morning shows that he, has, has, he is, has power in the kingdom of, of, of the darkness of demons and powers. Because he casts them out and relieves the individual of its dominance in their life. And he said this. He said, if I by the Littlest finger of God cast out the prince of. No doubt the kingdom of God has come down onto you. So there is a present kingdom. There is a present kingdom. And he says that the kingdom is within. You will not notice it so much in the natural government. But you will notice it in the governing of the individuals. All right? Absolutely. And until Jesus comes back, the church's responsibility is to preach the gospel, to expand the kingdom. And I'll 
as it goes forth in demonstrating the great love of the Lord. A passage of scripture that was probably quoted in virtually almost every church, or at least thought about it by some individual, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many can say amen? Absolutely. So we are kingdom people. We have a prayer to pray and we have a gospel to preach. It is the work of the church, the singular, only unstoppable venue in the world is the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail uh, against it. You need to start working and running like you're winners. Hello. Amen. Praise God. In the Super Bowl, you know who's going to win. You win. Oh, yes. And so, uh, to bring the gospel, it's that, it's that uh, uh, unstoppable venue. It's, it's that institution that brings hope to the world. It is a uh, venue that is to be filled with joy and power and expression of the Holy Spirit because Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so when the activity of the kingdom, you know what I mean, is running at its full force. Now, I understand that there can be degrees, etc. I even have bad days, you know. No surprise, I know. That's why nobody just, you know... <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but joy, and we've talked about that, how that, this church, and we want this church, while well, it has joy, it needs to be more joyful. Yeah, it needs to be more joyful, and, and, and so that's what we reach and extend ourselves to the goal. We are responsible. We are responsible for bringing heaven down to earth. Absolutely. For carrying out that mission, we're responsible for that. The church is the outlet of heaven. Think about it. It's the spigot, so to speak. It's, it's the place where we allow heaven's authority to be expressed in the earth. I give you power. I give you power. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come up, up on you. So we need to understand our purpose because everybody ends up in life someplace. But the goal is that you'll end up somewhere on purpose. I believe that Jesus met his goal when he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I believe he's still a life giver and I still there, believe that there is life being given in our society that seems to be so, you know, out of character. When you have a purpose, and you might ask me, you know, how can I find that? Well, number one, you don't find your purpose. You learn your purpose. You learn your purpose. There are things that contribute to it to help you to discover what that might be, your gifts and your talents, you know what I mean, and where God places you, etc. But, you know, there's, there's that God investment, but you learn your 
purpose. You learn your purpose. And um, anyway, in order to be the church, you know, that is full of joy, peace, and power, not being ruled by fear, is Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. I mean, we need to grasp it and say, you know, I'm going to start thinking right. Because I have a connection to right thoughts. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I think the right thought that we need to get, first of all, it, it doesn't have to be, you know what I mean, that you can understand the book of Revelation, you know, and, and all the deep secrets of God. But the one revelation that you need to get is that God loves you. That's right. That's the mind of God. That's the mind of Christ. God wants you to know that he loves you. He loves you just like you are. Amen. I mean, he even does a better job at that than our wives or spouses do. I'm amazed how my life, she just, she just crazy about me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I really think about this. Maybe she's crazy. I don't know, but, but, but she just really does. Everybody knows I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> She really loves me. And I'm sure your wife or your husband does the same thing. He's going to go, you know, what is it that you're so enamored about? You know, you know what is it about you that just, you know, makes you so blinded? <laughs> but, you know, God, he loves you. And not just a little bit of love, but a whole lot of love. But for the church to be the church, for us to reach our vision, for you to reach your vision in life even, you need to plug into the sovereignty of God. It's essential to your faith and to your future. It will bring confidence into your life. It will, you know, allow you to know that it's the Lord's counsel that stands. Many plans are made by men, but the Lord's counsel stands. God plans and God governs. Oh, hallelujah. You see, the psalmist said this. He said, wicked men may invite, invent and they may devise evil, but the Lord is still in charge. Psalms 2, chapter 1 through 4. Why do the heathen rage and the people plot a vain thing? I mean, this is a planned thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, now, we know they did that with Jesus Christ. Well, you know, it follows true and follows over against the anointed. You're the anointed of God. They say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, it says there's a strong effort to remove those values. They're using every avenue that they can 
to try to, you know, uh, 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 remove what they refer to as restraints and when God actually refers to, to them as liberty. Maybe you can see that. Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens will laugh. Now, there's all kinds of dimensions of God and references to God which refer what he is like, but let me tell you something. There's a side of God that a lot of people, you know what I mean, they ignore. Number one, he laughs. And this is not, you know what I mean, a merry heart does good like a medicine. This is a cynical laugh. God? Huh. It's like that that which has been made by one's hands will go ahead and think that they can undo the one's hands that made them. He laughs. And then he says that there's just going to be all kinds of division and and they don't know which way to go. They're confused. They're just messed up. Well, God says, who do you think is behind that? And then, this loving and wonderful and precious and amazing God actually has a side of vengeance. Now, all balanced perfectly with love and mercy and grace and, you know, and, and wisdom and justice. But it says, you know, when, when it comes to getting even, <laughs> that's what vengeance is. Getting even. He says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. God says, it's not in your hands. You don't put it in your hands. You'll get it wrong. But he says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. So he's trying to create a parameter here, you know, for us, so that we're we're not concerned about things that, he says, they're they're my territory. And then we'll just focus on the arenas that are our territory. Amen? Hallelujah. So there's a sovereignty of God that you can trust in and that you can rest in in this powerful God that we, we serve. When it comes to vision, there are three things I think that are necessary. You have to develop core values. Core values. They're like pillars in it. You need practical interpretation. Habakkuk chapter 2 talks about how it needs to be made plain. And then last but not least, there needs to be goals. Goals. Paul said, I press toward the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Some measuring elements 
do it. And then number four, actually there was four of them. Doing what honors the Lord throughout eternity and not just what may be, you know, uh, appealing or pleasurable to us. And there's room for that. But to develop core values, practical interpretation goals, and doing what honors the Lord. So how do you fulfill your vision whether it's the church vision or it's your personal vision. Number one, you need to have a good memory or memories of things that are good. You need to remember the faithfulness of God because it will affect your view and your anticipation of his faithfulness in the future. Remember, remember yesterday's victories, but also embrace tomorrow's challenges. Moses, remember the Red Sea. The God who separated the Red Sea is very able to give you food in the desert. David, remember the God that helped you kill the lion and the bear is well able to help you overcome the mocking giant Goliath. To our forefathers... Speaking to us, he says, remember your forefathers. Remember what I did for Abraham. Remember what I did for Isaac. Remember what I did for Jacob. You say, well, pastor, what's that got to do with me and us? Because he says, the blessing of Abraham is for you. So if you don't understand and know what that involves, you won't know what can be anticipated for you. But he went through this whole trouble, you know, this, this work of the cross, the resurrection, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. God wanted the blessing to be expanded beyond, you know, the parameters that had originally been set. So that blessing of Abraham. So he says you, you want to remember those, those good things. You want to have a memory for those things that propel you forward. But you want to forget those things that chain you down. When Paul said, you know, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward to the prize that is before me. He wasn't talking about, I'm going to forget my experience on the road to Damascus. When the light shined, and they had this major encounter with Jesus Christ and a turnaround in his life. Now, he said, I'm going to have to forget how I persecuted, how I fought against. You know what I mean? How I stood in the way, how I made made it so troublesome for everybody. It can go like this. It could be like it's for a husband and wife. And maybe one of them finds the Lord and the 
other one, you know, has been kind of standing against it all the time. And you can go through life with much too weighted about what, what you hindered and what you did wrong once sight came into your life. And that's what Paul is saying. There are things that, that if you remember them, they could chain you. If you can remember them so that they give you wisdom, that's a different thing. But memories that propel you forward. Amen? Hallelujah. So Moses needed to remember. We need to remember. Communion is a time which we regularly remember. There is a power in remembering when it moves you forward. When it moves you forward. That's why you have to remember the sovereignty of God and the blessings of that hour and that time. And I told you, have told you the story of, of my father, uh, you know, having killed a deer out of season to supply some food for his table and how that when he got to the mailbox, uh, the, uh, uh, so the supply was in the mailbox. Well, he learned and he never had to kill a deer out of season. He just had to keep going to the mailbox. Anybody getting this? Hallelujah. See, supply always comes the right way. Supply always comes the right way. It's in the mailbox. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, remembering. Let's talk a moment about the importance of holy discontent. Holy discontent. Holy discontent is not sent into your life so that you go ahead and just run around. It's put there so it'll help you define. You discover what fires you. What ignites your personal passion? Why are you drawn to that? What is it that, you know what I mean? It gets you off the couch. You get in the game because of it. See, it's not meant to frustrate you. No. It's meant to, for you to discover what is it that when you get around it, when you see it, you touch it, you get near it, you know what I mean? All of a sudden you're drawn to it. Nehemiah had that happen in his life. Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He holds a position in the court of the king. And he hears about a report. A report that was not a good report and a report that just began to move him to such a degree that he engages in prayer and he even starts to fast because the holy discontent has taken place. Dwelling in the king's castle, having regular audiences with the king, 
Life for himself is not bad. But all of a sudden, life for some other people is not what it should be. And so holy discontent begins to move in. He begins to surrender to it. Saw people who were hurting and lost. People who were broken without homes. No future. And he says, that's not the way it should be. It shouldn't be that way. Oh, hallelujah. See, when God looked at the world, he said, it shouldn't be that way. So Nehemiah got this vision. Knew the situation, but there's got to be keys, too, in how we rectify the problem. So he gets his vision to build a wall. A wall of protection. Because that's what was happening. The enemy was coming in at will. Israel would, would often have great crops. And yet, an army that was sent to steal would come and destroy and take the crops away. And he saw this and he just moved. Can't let this happen. I told you the story how I arrived here. Just a simple verse when God says, you know, all of a sudden there was no pastor. And as I was traveling to work, God says they will be like sheep without a shepherd. And my mind goes from the scriptures and he tells me what happens when sheep don't have shepherds. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a sheep herder. You know, from the standpoint, I don't know that much about them. But I just read the scripture. What it says. And it says, this is what happens, you know what I mean, to sheep. It happens to people when they don't have, you know what I mean, someone in their life. And they just begin to move that around and say, you know, this is what happens in an area. We don't have a person or persons Help them and to take place. Help them in their distress. To build some walls for them. And he got a vision. He got a vision of the way it should be. Follow me. It's not enough to be able to see how it is. You've got to be able to see how it should be. God touches your heart. Why do you get moved with tears and, you know what I mean, and, and, all, and not just tears, but sometimes you really just get upset because you see that's not how it should be. Now, you will not always have the position that Nehemiah had, but you can always rest assured that if it's of God, there was a divine setup a divine setup that will begin to orchestrate it. He says, I know how it should be. He said the people should have homes. A place of safety. People should be healed. 
places to live and marriages should be restored and families made whole. Orphans should have parents, he said, and the addicts should be free. Anybody hear me this morning? This is what God says. Our particular roles that we have and God has called us to to play. That, That holy discontent might be the voice of God. You don't have to move from your job to do the kingdom work. You can keep your job because that's the field right there that God has ordained, you know what I mean, to bring you in contact with your mission. If he needs to move you, he surely is well able to do that. Holy discontent is this. It says, this is not the way things should be. When meant that way. I believe that true spirituality is one that is affected when things are out of order and chaos and not the way the Father designed it. And there has to be a movement. Movement of something because it says in Genesis chapter 1 that, that, that the earth was chaotic. It was out of order. And it says the spirit began to move. Hallelujah. And a holy discontent began to take place. And then there was a word. And out of the word, of course, we begin to see order and things begin to be, be arranged. It's possible for you to lose what you should be doing. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He said, I, great, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Apparently they had a downtime. They had a downtime. And it came around. And they jumped on it. What is your passion, Pastor? Well, I think you, over the years you've probably learned to discover, but I know this, that God says that this year is, is really a year of the local church. A year of the local church. And what is neat about it is, is that this is, not, this is not a man-originated theme. It's God. And what does that mean? Does this mean just this gathering? No. As in gathering in the church? No. It means the families. This is an hour and 50 minutes, an hour and a half. Kingdom things. Shorter or longer, just how, how long the pastor goes. But it's just an hour and a half. The rest of it's out there. The rest of it's right where you're at. That's where the kingdom activities taking place. 
David said this, as a deer pants after the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you. Does anybody here think that the church could use a few more panting deers? I, I can't answer that for you, but I know that in the, in the last the last year, the last year, that I was checking my own life, my passion and stuff like that, and I don't think I was doing it on my own. I think the Lord was doing it, you know. And I found out that it, it wasn't what it should be. I had to admit it wasn't what it should be. It almost felt good as it was, but as soon as he started to stir it, I knew that it required more passion, more giddy up. It did. I said, Lord. (coughs) And so a holy discontent began to happen. and, And then began to deal with me and saying there's got to be also a, a holy determination. Not enough to just be discontent. There's got to be a holy determination. Paul wrote in, in, chapter, in Acts chapter 20, as he is faced with going to Jerusalem and people are telling him, you know what's going to happen to you there? They're going to they're going to whip you. They're going to put chains upon you. They're going to imprison you. Here's what he said. None of those things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. I'm not here to live for me. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord a praise. I'm not here to live for me. that I might finish my race with joy in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. As he stands before a King Agrippa, the first thing that comes out of his mouth, you know what I mean, when questioned, he says, I want to tell you what happened in my life. This is what I was, and this is what I was doing. And one day this thing happened. And he tells him how he met Jesus. Your life story, it's not insignificant. My life story is not insignificant, even though I have not had a Damascus encounter. My life story is significant that I can tell you the power and the grace of God, not only in my life, but in my family's life. That you don't have to visit the halls of destruction. God's grace 
is sufficient. Can you start believing this morning that, that your kids don't have to be lost in the fields that destroy the human body and the soul of mankind? A holy determination. You don't want to misinterpret the restriction God puts on your life. Don't misinterpret the restrictions God puts on your life. You see, when Paul couldn't preach from the pulpits in society, he began to write letters. Hallelujah. He found a way to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not let his circumstances become the dictator of his ministry. He just adjusted his ministry for the circumstances. Somebody give the Lord a praise this morning. Hallelujah. How can Daniel and the Hebrew children in a society that was totally godless be effective? Holy determination crystallizes the vision and says, I cannot not do this. I have to. It leads to the fact that if you don't get holy determination, nothing will change just because you have holy disconnect. Or dis, yeah. No, not connect. Content. <laughs> English is not my major. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You can have holy discontent, lack of contentment, but it doesn't do anything without holy determination. Thank God for the holy determination of Jesus. You're going to face a lot of things. I got to wrap this up. More to say, but I think you'll get it. Those two lead to divine destination. Let me, for a moment, talk to you about finishing anointing. Finishing anointing, finishing grace. Paul said, I fought a good fight, I've finished. The race. People understand that it doesn't take a whole lot to start, but it takes a lot to finish. It takes patience, it takes endurance, it takes overcoming resistance and overcoming enemies. It takes overcoming distractions. It takes overcoming doubters and skeptics. You've got to keep moving 
forward to stay on the mission. Influential people. Deuteronomy says, as your days are, so shall thy strength be. Learning to draw upon those. He says, your strength will be equivalent to your need. Your strength will match what you come up against. Oh, the Holy Spirit is wonderful. A question that they didn't, you didn't know they were going to ask. Or a situation that comes up that you had no idea was going to be there. And all of a sudden, you got the answer. You got the insight. Now experience can go a long ways. But it can't go near as far as what the Holy Spirit can do. And that's what he said, I'm going to do for you. That's what I'll do for you. You can be with the brightest of minds, the most powerful that there is, or even the most, you know, unlikely. And the Holy Spirit is able to give and temper what it takes to have a finishing anointing. Hallelujah. I can't speak publicly, Paul said, but I can send some letters. Some of you remember, will remember, most will not remember, a dear sister that we had in this church, and this is history, of course, you know, but her name was Grace Strand. And she was not a, a, a lady that communicated very quiet, you know, would be very difficult to have conversation with her, not because she was, you know what I mean, wasn't nice. It just wasn't how she handled life. But she would write letters, cards to our missionaries. And we would get back little notes of how important how valuable in what that did for them on the mission field. She would be one of those that couldn't speak, but she could write. And I say all that for this, in this respect. I don't want you measuring yourself among yourselves with other people. Your gift, your ability, your field, how you can do it. That's what'll work. That's what'll work. You are uniquely made as my musicians come this morning. A finishing anointing. The enemy says, Nehemiah, you're just a cupbearer. 
God says, you're a rebuilder of walls. The enemy says, David, you're just a shepherd boy. God says, you're a warrior and a king. Moses, all you do is stammer, and you are an angry orphan. God says, you're my spokesman. You're the man I'm choosing to deliver. Stand with me this morning. I believe that the Lord is saying, you think too small, make room for more. Make room for more. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, you feel that endearment there? Brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. In the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't let your fire go out. Guard the flame. Guard the flame. Don't magnify the problem. Magnify your God. Amen? Hallelujah. It's not who you are. It's who God is. Nehemiah said that's not how it should be. That's not how it should be. And you've looked and you've seen. You said that's not how it should be. That's not how it should be. We have to do something to make a difference. And as a pastor, when I hear your stories, he goes, that's not how it should be. If the story is such, you know what I mean? That a wayward, an events that are traumatizing, that's not how it should be. We have to step up. We have to step up. Amen. Father, this morning, I thank you, and I I want to take authority, Father, over every demonic stronghold that somehow has positioned itself and placed itself and has, has a stronghold. And Father, I break them this morning in Jesus' name. I declare that the kingdom that drove that demon out of that of that person, Father, the kingdom invade, and I'm asking for the kingdom to invade this morning. Jesus' name. Oh, Father, 
I release an anointing to the teachers that are in this house that, that are touching our young people and our school department, Father. I thank you for divine setup today. They are not there, God, just for a vocation. They are there for a city that's set on a hill, a light that cannot be hid. Father, I thank you for community placements, people that are in opportunities, Father, in positions, Father, to make a difference because that's not how things should be. Father, put a, Je- a Nehemiah spirit in us now. Hallelujah. Oh, God. And let us also capture the sovereignty, the might, and the power of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah. If you believe it, give the Lord a praise and love one another. Praise God. and Just be. Just be. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.